morning and happy Sabbath Grace family. This is Brother Gary White Jr. here to introduce the sermon of this week. This week we were blessed to hear from Pastor Frank E. Leggett III. You may be thinking, what is the title of the sermon that Pastor spoke about this week? The title of the sermon is, It's What Godly Husbands Do. This probably has you thinking, hmm, what did Pastor present this week? The only way for you to find out is to hear this lovely sermon. So coming up, you'll hear from Pastor Frankie Leggett with their sermon title, It's What Godly Husband Do's. Keep your eyes and ears open for a lovely message. May God continue to bless you as you hear it. Amen. Now, Pastor Frankie Leggett. Amen. Thank you, Shannon. Um, I want to just take this moment and uh, acknowledge some friends of mine who are here. Sister Vicki David is with us. I don't know if everyone has seen her. Vicki, Vicki's here. And I want you all to know that Grace is a person of her word. She said, Pastor, I'm coming back. She's here with her husband and her six children. Amen, 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 amen. Just wanted to take the moment and acknowledge and acknowledge our friends here at Grace. So, it's what godly husbands do. Please bow your heads with me as we acknowledge God's presence. Father in heaven, thank you for what we are about to receive from your word. This is your moment, this is your time. It's the highlight of every worship experience. It's about you, it's not about us. So instruct us on this, our married couples weekend. As always, I ask that I might be used as a conduit through which your blessings will flow, will flow from you through me to your people, Amen. particularly to each and every couple, both here as well as those that are watching online. Bless us, guide us, and keep us to this end. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Let the church say, amen. amen, amen, amen. God has a blueprint to ensure the happiness of married couples. After all, it was Christ who created, in, in, created the institution of marriage in the Garden of Eden. One of the two oldest institutions known to mankind, marriage and the Sabbath. Christ wants married people to experience ultimate happiness. How many of you believe that? Christ wants each couple to experience a honeymoon type atmosphere in their marriage every day. But for that to happen, he knows that the man, the husband, must lead out in the loving and the husband must be the lead lover in the family. If the couple is going to experience a prolonged honeymoon experience, God knows that if the, if the couple is to recapture the honeymoon experience, then the man, the husband, must take the lead. Why the man? Why the husband? Somebody might be asking the question, whether here or online, Pastor, how come the, how come the woman can't lead out in this? There's a simple reason why. The text explains it clearly. Ephesians 5.23 says this. For the husband, 
is the head of the wife. The husband was destined by God to be the leader in the marriage, not the wife. The, that also includes being the lover in the relationship and in the marriage. According to scripture, that's a husband's role, not the wife's. How can I be so definitive? Here's how. There are nine roles that God requires godly husbands to fulfill in their marriages. How many? Nine. Nine. To experience or revive your honeymoon experience, husbands must fulfill all nine, especially the last two. Numbers eight and nine. I'll talk to you more about that in a minute. But to start, let's go back to Ephesians 5. This time I want to look at verse 25, which says, Husbands, Love your wives. Amen. It does not say, wives, love your husbands. Why not? Because you don't have to tell a woman to do that. Amen? God knows he had to instruct us. So he did. The Apostle Paul instructs men and husbands on how we must function in our marriages. Paul declares that Christ is the standard that we must emulate. Paul informs us that we must treat our wives like Christ treated his wife. Who is Christ's wife? The church. So what I want us to do is take a closer look at verse 25, for therein lies the problem as to why so many marriages go from holy wedlock from holy wedlock to unholy deadlock. Herein lies the problem why so many honeymoons fade so quickly. <clears throat> many of you know that I am a life coach for women and that I have, a, uh, I have a, a program that women, predominantly single, but some married women come through the program. And I spoke to one of my, one of my clients just this week um, and she's getting married on the 19th of this month. I'm flying down to do the wedding. She shared with me that a friend of theirs, or at least somebody that she knows, got married, and in six months they were divorced. How many months? Six. six. Not separated. Divorced six months later. So I want to look at this verse again. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There are two things that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, instructs us husbands to do in our relationships all predicated on how Christ treated his wife. What I want you to see is, as, as we go to the next slide, that Christ was, I think it's, yeah, Christ was the lover in his marriage. <clears throat> Amen? Why? It's what godly husbands do. Not only was Christ the lover in his marriage, but Christ was the giver 
in his marriage. Why? It's what godly husbands do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this. Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Last, last sentence. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So here we see that Christ was not only the lover, not only was he the lover, but he was the lover and the giver. But in addition to that, he was also the sacrificer in the marriage. Lover, giver, sacrificer. Why? It's what godly husbands do. It's what husbands do when, when they follow the biblical template that God has established here in his word. When, when they follow the biblical blueprint that God is laying out for all of us to implement in our marriages. So his wife, the church, was the one being loved. His wife was the one being given to. His wife was the one being sacrificed for. Paul says that's how we should function with our wives. We should be the lovers, the givers, and the sacrificers. But ladies and gentlemen, here's a $64,000 question. When we look at the typical marriage today, what do we see? As we go to the next slide and click, question is, in a typical marriage today, who's the lover? Next, typical marriage today, who's the giver? In the typical marriage today, who's the sacrificer? the wife and most of our families are out of harmony with God's word most of our families are out of harmony with God's blueprint that God established to ensure relational and marital happiness let me share this with you I hadn't intended to say this but I'm going to say it when you look at the Garden of Eden, there are two blueprints for the family that come out of the Garden of Eden. One is divine, the other is satanic. The world and many, if not most of God's people have embraced a satanic blueprint for the family. And we don't even know it.
How many roles are there that God required godly men to fulfill in their marriages and relationships? Nine. I don't have time to deal with all nine. I'm going to focus on the last two. Numbers eight and nine. We'll focus on eight and nine. Because when a man fulfills eight and nine, he makes the ultimate statement to his wife about his love for her. Eight and nine. It was eight and nine that took me to another level in my relationship with my wife before she died. It was eight and nine that changed my life forever, even though she did not survive. I'm a different man today because of eight and nine. Because now I understand, after all these years on this planet, I fully understand what God requires me to do and to be in a relationship with a woman. I got it because now I understand the template and the blueprint for, for marital and relational happiness. And God raised me up to share that with you. So that it can be a difference maker in your relationships. And make a difference in your life the way it has made in mine. And so when, man for, when, a, when a husband particularly fulfills eight and nine, it makes the ultimate statement to his wife. About how much he loves and cares for her. So we're going to focus on those two points. Is that okay? I'm going to share two points with you today. Point number one is this. Next, next, next slide. Point number one. When husbands emulate Christ and consistently function as the lover in the relationship, the wife responds and responds to his love. But he's got to give it so that she can respond to it. Many of us are upside down. Wanting the wife to give so that we can respond. That's backwards, ladies and gentlemen. And I was backwards for, for a long time. That's not biblical. So go with me to heaven. Disappointedly, all heaven watches as Eve leaves her husband and leaves the protection of her husband and wanders onto forbidden ground and walks towards danger. She's in the vicinity of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God said, don't, don't eat, don't even touch, he said. You see, God... Prior to that moment, God had sent angels to warn, teach, and instruct them about the enemy of their soul, Satan, who they ensured would attempt to bring about the ruination of our first parents. Eve gets ever closer to the tree when she realizes she's on dangerous ground. As she gets closer to the tree, she realizes she's on dangerous ground. But she's mesmerized and captivated by sight that startles her. She stands gazing at its beauty. And Satan chose a serpent because it was beautiful. 
Ellen White says this, quote from the story of redemption. Satan says, the serpent speaks to her. And now she is doubly intrigued, even though, even though um, Ellen White says, but she was amazed for she knew that to the serpent, God had not given the power of speech. She knew something was wrong with the picture. But she stood there on dangerous ground anyway. She knew serpents did, didn't speak. This one did. She knew that was not godly. So if it's not godly, it's time for you to leave. When, when your environment turns ungodly, it's time for you, godly person, to leave. Satan lies to her. He tells her that he's been given the ability to speak because of the fruit of that forbidden fruit that he's consumed. Ellen White says the serpent then plucked the fruit and put it in her hand and she receives it. And when she did not die, drop dead, what she thought would happen, her fate was sealed. See, God had instructed them that they could not eat it, not even touch it, because in the day they do, they would surely die. But what the Hebrew says is this. It, 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 it didn't mean that they would drop dead instantly. What the Hebrew means is, in fact, what it says is in Hebrew, dying thou shalt die. Slowly, day by day, you will start dying. Because the aging process is the dying process. She buys Satan's lies, hook, line, and sinker. She consumes the forbidden fruit. And immediately, Eve transitions from the tempted to the tempter. Sin is not yet permanent. Though Eve has consumed of it, sin is not yet permanent. Why? Because her husband has not yet violated Sin does not become permanent until Adam sinned. Why? Because Adam is the leader, not Eve. Romans 5.12, sin into the world through one man, not one woman. There's still a chance that all of mankind can come out of this unscathed because sin cannot become permanent until Adam violates because Adam is the leader. So she runs to her husband and she convinces him to join her in rebellion against their creator. Immediately, heaven is astir with activity. Adam and Eve are without excuse because they, but Adam joins her in rebellion. God and the angels had warned them to be on the guard against fallen angels. God instructed them that if they disobeyed his commands and consumed the fruit, they would die. And an angel, once they sin, an angel is dispatched from heaven and bars the entrance to the tree of life so they could not consume it. Because Ellen White says if they consumed of the truth of, of that fruit, they would be perpetual sinners. Because the fruit perpetuates life. And they consume, they would consume the fruit 
become perpetual sinners without the hope of redemption. Immediately in heaven, a meeting is called of all three members of the Godhead. So, and, and, and so as they come, into this, they come into this meeting, there's just one question. And the question is, what will be the fate of this earthly couple? Will they die as God promised or will God have mercy on them? All three members of the Godhead are present. The destiny of mankind hangs in the balance. They have one shot at salvation, Adam and Eve do. Just one. One of the three members of the Godhead must assume human flesh, go, do, go to earth, become human, suffer, tortured, die in their place. Here's what I want you to know today. That when Christ went into that meeting, he didn't merely go into the meeting as just one of the three members of the Godhead, which is what he was. I want you to know that he, went, he also went into that meeting to fulfill role number eight. He went in as a loving husband fighting for his wife. Why? That's what godly husbands do. When Christ walked into the meeting, he walked into that meeting in lover mode. In the meeting, the situation is addressed. Their only hope is that one of them would die in their place. And God answered the question, which one of us will volunteer? It was Christ that raised his hands. In lover mode, he raised his hands. Why? Here's why. Ellen White says this, patriarchs and prophets, you all, patriarchs and prophets, you all need to read it. The creation and then the fall, you all need to read it. The son of God, heaven's glorious commander, was touched with the pity for the fallen race. His heart was moved with infinite compassion as the woes of the lost world rose up. He could see all of us sinful, sad creatures before him. But divine love had conceived a plan whereby man might be saved. Christ was already in husband and lover mode. He went into the meeting with a heart so full of love that he was willing to do anything it took to save his wife from death. He was in lover mode. How do I know? Check this out. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 63, paragraph 3. He's in the meeting, the contemplating, the contemplating the destiny of this couple and of all mankind, me and you, me and you are being discussed in that meeting. Who would be the offspring of Adam and Eve? Our destiny is at stake. 
Before the Father, he pleaded in the sinner's behalf. While the host of heaven, all the angels waited outside, waiting for the outcome of the meeting. The host of heaven awaited the result with an intensity of interest that words cannot express. Long continued was that mysterious community. They were in the meeting for a long time trying to decide the destiny of mankind. I'm going to explain why the meeting took so long. Long continuous that mysterious communing. The council, it's called the Council of Peace, Zechariah 6.13. It was for the fallen sons of men. The plan, the plan of salvation had been laid before the creation of the earth, before God ever made Adam and Eve, before Christ ever came down and stooped down into the dust and created Adam and Eve, there had already been a contingency plan that if one of them should die, if they should sin, one of us must go down and die. God is never caught off guard. He always has a contingency. God always has a plan B when plan A goes awry. There's never any happenstance in God's program. There's no irony in God's program. There are no accidents in God's program. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard because he's God. The plan of salvation had been laid before the creation of the earth. For Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation before the world was even created. He had If they mess up, I'll fix. I'll be the fixer. Revelation 13, 8. Listen to this. Christ goes into the meeting and volunteers. Yet, it was a struggle. Even with God the Father, the King of the universe, it was a struggle to yield up his son to die for a guilty race. It was a struggle. But God so loved that he gave. There's the two words again. Lover, giver. Lover, giver. That's what godly husbands do. And ladies, if you're doing it, you're out of order. And you're setting yourself up for heartache and heartbreak. Because you're upside down. And if the Garden of Eden has taught us anything, you cannot violate God's word without suffering consequences. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ goes into the meeting and he's in number eight lover mode. Why did the meeting take so long? He fought for his wife. 
Christ went into the meeting and refused to take no for an answer. He would not let his wife die. He came to the rescue of his wife because he loved her. And he gave his life for her. Why? Because that's what godly husbands do. So Christ in the meeting secures permission to be man's substitute and die so that his wife might be saved. He leaves the meeting and then he assembles another meeting of the heavenly host to explain to them that which is about to go down. And he informs them of the plan of salvation and they don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it. So he begins to explain, and almost says, the angels could not rejoice as Christ opened before them the plan of redemption, for they saw that man's salvation would cost the life of their commander. It would cost him unutterable woe and grief and wonder. They listened to his words as he told them how he must descend from heaven's purity and peace, its joy and glory and immortal life and come into contact with the degradation of earth to ensure to endure its sorrow, shame and death. He said, but I got to go. I got a wife to save. And so the angels, when they, when, they, when they hear it, they prostrate. First of all, they say, no, 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 master. One of us will go. Christ said, no, you can't. Because only God can go. You're a created being just like them. You can't do it. You can't satisfy the claims of the law. Only somebody who's equal with the law, only the lawgiver can satisfy the claims of the law that says whoever breaks one of these must die because I'm the lawgiver, I can die in their place. You can't die, though you might be the most powerful angel in heaven. I've got to go. Why? It's what godly husbands do. So Christ said no to the angels. He loves, he loves his wife so much that no one could deter him and no one could dissuade him and no one could distract him from his mission. And because he loved, he gave his life. When Anne went into crisis on that Thursday evening, about four o'clock in the morning, my, my love kicked in and went to a level that I didn't even know existed. I spent entire nights, plural, in prayer on my face, stretch it. My knees weren't low enough. I had to stretch out on my face because when I, when, 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 when I need to get a prayer through, when I need, to, when I need God to know I'm serious, 
the, my knees aren't low enough. I stretch out. I prostrate myself before God. And I fell on my face before God, pleading with God to restore and to heal my wife. She had spent the last 29 years of marriage at times wondering and questioning if I loved her. And in the heat of the crisis, my capacity to love her went to a level that I didn't know it was possible. And by the grace of God, she saw it and she felt it and she knew it and she acknowledged it. When a husband is in lover mode, he won't let go. He doesn't give up and he doesn't give in. He pursues his wife and refuses to take no for an answer. Why? Because it's what godly husbands do. We need more husbands who love their wives supremely and willing to do anything to fight for her. Can I get a witness today? So when husbands emulate Christ and consistently function as the lover in their marriage, the wife responds by returning his love. The Bible says that Christ saved Mary who had been caught in adultery and he rescued her. He protected her. The Bible says as a result of that, he didn't condemn her. He didn't look down his nose at her. He didn't condemn her to hell. He could have stoned her himself. He could have killed her. He could have had them kill her because she was in violation of the law. He didn't do that. He forgave her because he loved her. The Bible says she was so full of love for her Lord that she took all that she had and she purchased some expensive perfume and she came and she anointed his feet with that oil and after crying on his feet she dried his feet with her hair with a heart filled with love and gratitude she had to express how grateful she was for how much he loved her husbands that's how wives respond when they are loved. Because when a wife is loved, she, she, will, she will refuse to allow you to outlove her when she's loved. Ladies, can I get a witness today? Husbands, when you love your wives like Christ loves his wife, she will shower you with gifts as a statement of her love and gratitude. And the greatest gift that she will have to give you is herself. I dare say that if we're complaining that our needs are not being met in a certain area, guys, read between the lines. It just might be that we are not loving them the way they want and need to be loved. Because when a woman's heart, when a woman's heart is captured by her man, she responds in kind. Amen? I mentioned that there are nine roles that God requires a godly man to fulfill in his marriage. I'm focusing on just two of those roles because those are the two roles that in my estimation makes the greatest statement to a wife about a husband's love and admiration for her. Although all nine are important and required. 
Plus, the Apostle Paul requires our husbands to love their wives with a godly love that melts their hearts. Why? Because that's what godly husbands do for their wives. The second and final role that Christ fulfilled to perfection with his wife is he functioned as the Savior. Point number two, when husbands emulate Christ and consistently function as the savior in their marriage, it's God's will that the wife's body would be protected and insulated from life-threatening illness and disease. That's God's will. Because God designed it that a husband's love would be so powerful that her body would be healed or protected from disease because of it. That's God's plan. So Christ left heaven, came to earth as a man among men. Please know and understand that he came in pursuit of his wife. Just know that his wife didn't go looking for him. Christ came to earth in pursuit of his wife. Society today says anything a man can do, a wife can, a woman can do. And society is reversing God's principles. Today, you see women on their knees proposing to men. I wish I would see one of y'all on your knees. I wish I would. If you ever, ever put that foolishness on Facebook or YouTube, I don't care where you go, I don't care what, how deep embedded you are in the witness protection program, I'm finding you. If you don't stop that madness, Just because the world and society embraces it doesn't mean you, the people of God, ought to endorse it and co-sign it. Christ went everywhere on a mission of mercy. Christ, he went, he went searching, he went searching to bring healing to his wife. Role number nine. Savior of the body, the text says. Christ did more healing than he did anything else. Role number nine. He's the, the text says, Ephesians 5.23 says, he and the husband is the healer. He's the savior of the body. The husband. Why was he in the role of the Savior? See, when Christ got into a boat and sailed to Gadara, he sailed across the lake, and sailed to, to Gadara, he was confronted by two demoniacs. But what the demoniacs didn't know was that as soon as Christ stepped out of the boat, he was already in Savior mode. 
He intentionally, he intentionally went to Gadara because he went to bring healing, emotional, psychological healing to two of his, two, two, two individuals of the human family that was a part of the human family that, 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 that was his wife that needed healing. He knew it. He went in search of them. So he intentionally went to Gadara to save them from demon possession. He saved them and restored both of them in their right minds. Then he returned to the boat and went back to the lake and crossed the lake again. Soon as he gets on the other side, coming out of the boat, he's thronged by a mob of people, all wanting and needing something from him. And there was Jairus who approached him. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue, approached him and said, please come to my house. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. And if you don't come, she's going to die. And Christ agrees to go with him. And in the process, amongst a mob of people, they head to Jairus' house. But there was somebody in the crowd. This woman who had a medical issue that she's been, she had been dealing with for 12 years. Uncontrollable bleeding. She was suffering from uterine cancer. She spent all her money on the doctors, no healing. No money, she's out of options. So what do you do when you're out of human options? You better go to Jesus. She fights her way through the crowd. She doesn't embrace him. She doesn't hug him. She doesn't clap hands with him. All she can manage to do is to touch the bottom and just the hem of a garment. And lo and behold, there was healing in the hem of her garment. All she did was touch it, but it was a touch of faith, and instantly she was healed. How is that even possible? Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The husband is savior and healer. Read this text. Read this quote. Ellen White. She's talking about the love of Christ. And I want you to apply it in this context. That when a godly husband receives the love of God and then imparts it to his wife, I want you to see what the possibilities are. The love which Christ diffuses through the whole being is a vitalizing power Every vital part of the human body, the brain, the heart, the nerves, it touches with what? Healing. We're talking about divine love, y'all. 
I'm not talking about secular, lustly love. Yes, sir. I'm talking about divine love. Yes, sir. Love that comes from above, not from beneath. By, by it, the highest energies of the soul are roused to activity. It frees the soul from the guilt and the sorrow, the anxiety and the care that crush the life forces. And that which is crushing the life forces will shorten your life. With it come, and, and, and so when divine love comes in, with it comes serenity and composure. It implants in the soul joy that nothing earthly can destroy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. It, it brings health-giving, life-giving joy. And so when that kind of love is imparted to a wife, God designed that that love would insulate a wife's cells so that disease bounces off of her. And so, so, and so her body becomes impregnable to disease. So you become a game changer. Because you, the husband, is the savior of the body. Just like Christ. I don't know about y'all, that's deep, y'all. That's deep, y'all. You are a game changer, for good or otherwise. We, as husbands, have the capacity to protect and insulate our lives from life-threatening illness and disease. Conversely, by mistreatment, not loving, disrespect, ignoring them, having no time for them, workaholic, not communicating, shutting down when they need to talk. You will crack open a door of life-threatening illness and disease. And trust me, and I know what I'm talking about. Ladies, wives, you are, your health is the mirror for what's happening in your marriage. Your wife, your health reflects my love or the lack thereof. When my wife was in and out of the hospital 15, oh, 20 years ago, the saints of God didn't know that I was a knucklehead and an idiot, but I knew. And then God, God called me on the carpet. See, you can't represent anybody until you get your act together. How you gonna counsel somebody? My wife's health was reflective of what was going on in our home. And Angela is not unique. A buried women whose husbands refused to get it. And as I said to you last night and this morning, the death, the, the death certificate said cancer. 
it was not the root cause. They all died from a broken heart. From a man who would not love them, who refused to love them the way they wanted and needed to be loved. A man who came into marriage and marriage was all about him. What he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted, why he wanted, where he wanted. And your wife never has to open her mouth about what's going on in your home. But her health will reveal it. Because you're a mirror. You never have to say a word. And your high blood pressure is through the roof. And you're taking one stronger medication after another to control it, and nothing is. You become a mirror. And God said to me, how in the world can you treat a woman the way that you do and claim to love her? That doesn't make any sense. Am I right? When you, when you claim to love her. So I had to change. The touch of the divine husband healed and saved her from certain death. Why? That's what godly husbands are designed to do for their wives. And guess what? The ninth role that husbands have been called to fulfill in their marriage is the role of the savior to their wives, to your wives. It was Sunday, August 29th, when I went into savior mode. My wife was in crisis and I knew it and I was not going to stand around and let the, and let the person and the woman and the wife that I love more than any other human being on the planet really just died without doing anything. And I went into savior mode. And I, and I went into that mode doing what I could with her being in the hospital and not me. So I sprang into action in Monday morning, about 7 a.m. All, all by myself. Nobody knew it when I first got up. I walked around Reading Hospital, and I prayed, just me. Because God had put in my spirit, if Joshua and Israel could walk around Jericho and pray and shout, and the walls come tumbling down, I certainly can walk around the walls of Reading Hospital, and I could pray, and the walls of COVID come down from the, from the wall and the lining of my wife's lungs. And all by myself, 7 o'clock Monday morning, I walked around that hospital. And then I did it again. I, and then I, you know, I said, you know what? I need to invite people to pray with me. So that Monday evening, I alerted the world through Facebook. And I began to walk around the hospital. And I began to pray every day. And I invited others to pray with me. And so here I am, 
Check it out. Next slide. Um, But Monday night she watched and she said words words can't describe what I'm feeling right now much love for this great guy leading out. One day we will share our story. To God be the glory, great things he had done. Thank you. She didn't make it and we didn't have the chance to implement the plans that we had talked about. We didn't get the chance to do the marriage retreat. We discussed while she was in the hospital. Because I claimed it. I was convinced she was coming home. I no longer have a wife, but many of you do. I have a picture, it sits over my fireplace, my living room. And even though she can't hear me, sometimes I just need to connect with her. And I'll, I'll look up at the picture. It's my only, it's, it's my, it's my, it's my, it's my one means of connecting with her. And I'll just talk to the picture. Baby, love you. I will, I will always love you. Miss you. When I, when I, when I need more than that, I go into my bathroom. When Ann went in the hospital, she had two bras on the back of the bathroom door. She always kept them there. When I really need to connect, I go in the bathroom. I'll get them cups and I... Big cups too. Because sometimes I just, I just, I just need to, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to pick up her scent. So I'll get the cups. Sometimes you got to do what a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I go get the cups. 
Can I go transparent? My first flight after she passed, she passed in September, and my uncle passed in the very next week after Angela passed, but his funeral was not until November, two months later. Can we talk? This is just between us, right? Nobody else, right? This is not going anywhere else, right? I got on a plane, I had both bras in the bag. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But guess what? I no longer have what you do. I could get, I wish I could, I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could communicate and, 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 and apologize for all of the missteps I made. I can't do that, but you can. So God said, I want you to do this, no matter how painful this is. And I want you to appeal to them who still have the opportunity to get it right to take their relationships to another level. Because you can do what I can't do. You have what I no longer have. So I'm appealing to you. Because trust me, you don't want to be where I am. So you need to take advantage of what you have. And I don't care what you have. The grass isn't greener on the other side. Value what you have. Spoil her, pamper her, put her on a pedestal and treat her like the queen that she is. And she will in turn treat you like the king that you are. And your relationship will go to another level. Am I right, ladies? Amen. So couples, I want you to come down. I want to pray for you, all of you. Any, any married couple, I want you to come down. I want to pray for you. Come on down. I want to pray for you. If your husband and wife, you're here, I want you to come down. I want to pray for your marriage. I want to pray for your relationship. I have determined that Grace Tabernacle is going to be the headquarters for marriage renewal and marriage revival, Amen. as well as for singles, in spite of my loss. Come on down, all the way down. Come on down. Come on down. 
Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Press it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here are the couples that you have put together in holy matrimony. My prayer for every one of them is that the husband would fulfill the nine roles that you have required him to fulfill. And when he does, my prayer is that the heart of his wife will be so touched, so penetrated, that a love will emerge from her to him and from him to her. And that they will experience a revival and renewal that exceeds anything that they've, ex that they've ever experienced, no matter how long they've been together. It is my prayer that each and every one of these couples will be so loving to each other that they will become role models to everybody around them. And people will inquire, what in the world are you doing? How can I get what the two of you have? Because we don't have that. Where did you get that from? How do you get that? And one by one, may their marriages change and may their families change and may their young children, may their young children change as they see their parents in love and loving and cherishing one another. And may their children get a rightful picture of how they need to function in a relationship when they are adults. How they should be, how the, and may the son get a picture of how he should treat a wife by watching his father. And may the daughters get a picture of how she should be treated by a godly man by watching her mother and her father. And may there be generational blessings that go through the family line. And may it start right here. Lord, I'm not asking this. I'm not asking for a, uh, for a miracle. This is not miraculous. This is what you designed. This is your plan. And Lord, may I continue to be a conduit. which your blessings will flow through me to them and from them to others. And when this group of people are role models before their family and the church family and the co-workers and their neighbors and other relationships and other individuals, lives are changed. We're going to be careful and we're going to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because we love you. 
Now bless them and guide them and keep them. Draw them, draw them ever closer, closer than they've ever been before. May they experience a love that they didn't even know existed. Take their love and their marriage into the stratosphere. May they go back home, may the churches be changed. May their families be changed. May their, may their individuals, the co-workers around them on the jobs, may they be changed. May their neighborhoods be changed. We will not take the credit because the credit will not be ours. We will give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name I ask it. For his sake, I pray, let the church say. Amen. Husbands, love your, hug, hug your wives, embrace your wives, wives, embrace and hug your husbands. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen, and an amen again. Talk about great and powerful message for us to listen to and for us to remember, Pastor shared some intricate details about his lifestyle, his experiences, and what he has gone through to get to the standard of being a good husband. Let's not forget some of the things that he has taught us and keep them fresh in our minds so that we can be the husband or be the spouse that God has envisioned us to do. Grace family, it has been a blessing to spend this time with you. I hope you guys have a lovely week. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Amen and blessings and have a wonderful week.